you know what, Jen? I don't think I've ever looked better in my life. I think I'm I'm at the peak of my physical prowess. I think you are. At the moment. And yeah. I would love to share that with people. I'd love people to be able to see me in the flesh. Just it's to... selfish to keep this. <laughs> it is. This amount of radiance needs to be shared. So I thought what I would do is invite people along to see me in real life. To be in the same room at the Museum of Comedy. At the Museum of Comedy, because comedy is what I do <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> and you belong in a museum. No, oh, no. No, no, no. It was How rude. My self-esteem had climbed and now it's back down on the floor. But no, I um, love the Museum of Comedy and I'm going to go there and I'm going to take my raw magnetism with me uh, on Wednesday the 24th of April. Can I come too? You can. Just try not to sort of detract from my glow, you know. Okay. Uh, we are going to have the magnificent Jenny Ryan, a magnificent guest, Ooh. TBA. Wednesday the 24th of April, put it in your diaries, bring your sunglasses because I am shining. Yeah, get your tickets now. The link is in our social media or from the music. Museum of Comedy website. Oh, please do come. Jen's all right as well. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The girls are back in town. Yes, you can see Lucy and Jenny live when they bring a very special quiz night along with an edition of Fingers on Buzzers to the Clapham Grand on Monday the 26th of October 2020. There'll be quizzes, there'll be prizes, there's going to be a special guest which will be announced shortly. Tickets are sold in groups of two and over but if you're somebody that prefers to go to these things alone then just drop us a line at fingersbuzzers at gmail and we'll partner you up with somebody to buy tickets with. In the meantime, you can go to clapandgrand.com for all information and tickets. What's your name? Jenny Ryan. Correct. What's my name? Lucy Porter. Correct. What are we doing? We're making a podcast all about quizzing. Correct. What's it called? Fingers on buzzers. Correct. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fingers on Buzzers! <laughs> that is going to have woken a few people up, Jen. <laughs> that I just wrestling... got into kind of res- wrestling mode, it Wrestlemania. Was, it really was Wrestlemania, I love that. Channeling my inner Hulk Hogan. And how appropriate for James Acaster, who is our guest. <laughs> <laughs> massive wrestling fan, he might be a massive wrestling fan, I don't know, but he's certainly a fan of quizzing and music and other things that we will be chatting to him about later. And we also have the wonderful Nikki Brown, who will be doing our listener quiz today and telling us all about 
their pub quiz experiences. Now we are thrilled to be joined by Nikki Brown. Hello, Nikki. Hi. Hi. Now we are dying to hear your quizzing tales, and uh, I think you're going to tell us something about the world of pub quiz. Is that right? Yeah, so um, before lockdown, we, the people I work with, we used to do like a, a, a bi-weekly quiz at our local pub. Last Christmas, none of us can remember how the situation actually occurred. Somehow at the end of the quiz, either we'd all bombed out or something had happened and our quiz master set this tiebreaker question. And then we thought it was going to be something really cool, like a really cool thing. No, it was how many of the little holy dimple things are in a golf ball? Oh, I hate golf. I know nothing about it. My manager's husband was there and he was like, well, I think it's around like 300. And I was like, okay. And he was looking at me because I like sport. Everyone's kind of looking at me and I'm like, I don't know. Like, we're just going to have to go with the number. Okay, you said 300. We'll just guess 300. That will do. Anyway. Turns out we were the closest mm-hmm. and we, we like won the rollover for that. It was just before Christmas and it was really nice, but golf balls, really. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I think that's been asked before mm-hmm. and I think I know people who would like do an equation and work <laughs> it out using pi, uh, whatever. Yeah, possibly. I, I just, it was honestly, it was just a get, we were just like, well... Okay, so let's picture a golf ball in your mind. How many do you reckon it is? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I could picture a golf ball and I'm like, yeah, it has quite a lot of the little dimple things, but I don't know how many it has. Mm. <laughs> we've actually always, in previous episodes, we've talked about how difficult those tiebreaker questions often are, like ridiculous numbers that you're... And I am terrible at estimating lengths or distances or anything like that so you did yeah. amazingly well i have to say yeah was, uh, to be know. fair we i mean when we were talking about it we were like right well it's going to be more than you think it is because you know they're really bobbly and they're really bumpy so when when um, my man's husband david said 300 i was like that sounds about right but then i looked at everyone was looking at me as well to, as if to say like gg no i'm like no <laughs> Because of course you should know. Of course, because everybody knows. Sure. Well, I love the idea that knowing about sport—that is another really annoying thing in quizzing—is when because you are the person who knows about sport, then anything that's even tangentially related to sport, you get asked. Because I am big on eighties music. Mm. And so if there's any question about anyone who ever had a hit in the 1980s, even if it's nothing to... Like, what I know yeah. is the music and lyrics of the 80s. Yeah. I don't know about the personal lives of Banana Rama, <laughs> Or, you know, although I do, that's a bad example. But, you know, <laughs> generally, um, it is quite annoying, isn't it, Jen, that way you're sort of assumed to have knowledge that you don't actually Yeah, possess. yeah, and, and because you have a general interest means that you know everything about that topic or you will know something completely peripheral to it that they said it's a it's a sport question what is the exact diameter of a tennis ball that's what i don't know but it's like it's really funny because i watch a lot of quiz shows with my dad the chase being one of them I watch a little questions with my dad, and whenever there's a sport question, my dad looks at me and like, says, "Do you know the answer?" I'm like, "No, I don't know the answer." Sport is one of the. I think it's one of the hardest 
subjects to be an expert on because there are so many different sports and you expect to know different levels of detail about them all. I mean, I I, I like football, but I, I can't name that many premiership footballers because that's not even the league that my team are in by a long way. So it's it, it's... And then I wouldn't know about, you know, Major League Soccer just because I like English football. So no. it's it's a it's a minefield. So you've you've picked a you've picked a very expansive horse there, Nikki. I have, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Thanks so much, Nikki. Lovely to talk to you and we will see you at the end of the show when you'll be doing a quiz for us, I believe. We are delighted to be joined by a brilliant comedian, a wonderful broadcaster, uh, and an all-round nice guy. It's Mr. James Acaster. Hello, James. Hello. I've not been called a broadcaster before. I like it a lot. Well, you do a lot of broadcasting. You do... uh... high time I got acknowledged for it. I come on this podcast and (laughs) finally get called a broadcaster. It's one of those sort of catch-all titles, really, isn't it? Because, I mean, Mm. you know... Yeah, we're all broadcasters these days, aren't we? If you've got a social media channel, you're a broadcaster. You just go and shout in the street. You're broadcasting mm. to someone, aren't you? I don't mean yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I've now. You were so delighted at being called a broadcaster, and now was. essentially just called you someone <laughs> who shouts at people. Apparently, anyone who shouts in the street. <laughs> but you're a brilliant broadcaster, and uh, we are going to talk about uh, your uh, amazing podcast off menu later. Also, the one that I have just discovered, which is uh, James Acaster's Perfect Sounds. Mm. Um. Which is a phenomenal work of uh, oh. obsession, and I love it. And I've got some <laughs> questions to ask you about that. But Oof. so the way we normally do this, James, is we mm-hmm. interview our guest via the medium of quiz, kind of quizzes yes. your life, as it were. Um, and what I would normally do is start off like with most guests. You would say, "Oh, you were born in wherever," and you ask them some questions about it because most people have only a sort of glancing interest in the history and facts about the place where they were born but of course it's more mm-hmm. difficult with you because you have you've broadcast <laughs> and written <laughs> extensively about your place of birth Kettering yes yes I talk about it a lot um, which means that well it means I, it comes up a lot which I like because I like talking about Kettering but it means that when I go back to Kettering because I've run my mouth off so much about being there uh, you know I, <laughs> sometimes when I do gigs there for example <laughs> Some people are just there because they know I'm from Catherine, <laughs> which doesn't mean they share my sense of humour. <laughs> yeah, that. Well, we've heard he talks about Wicksteed Park, so uh, let's go yeah. along and have a. Uh, I mean, I know much more about Kettering. I did a gig in Kettering at. You will know where it is. It's an art centre that's actually in a church. It's like not yep. an ex-church. It's a working church. What's it called? S- yeah, St Andrew's Church. I went to Scouts there and pissed myself in the cups. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you, that's probably your green room was where I wet myself. Oh, I only had known that at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah it, and you pissed yourself in the. Oh, I see. You went to Scouts and you pissed yourself in the Cubs. Yeah, so I went to Cubs and Scouts there. I went to Beavers at the first Kettering Beavers, and for some reason changed uh, when I went into Cubs. I can't remember why. And yeah, in a in one of the little church rooms during prayer time when everyone had their eyes closed, I wet myself. <laughs> okay. They don't have a plaque up in the church. Annoying. But they may do. They may do now. Um, Hope so. You know a lot about Kettering, and it made it difficult. I thought, well, I don't want to quiz you about Kettering directly. So what I've done is I've got a quiz for you, which is kind of obliquely about things related to Kettering. Oh. 
hopefully it will make sense so uh, your question number one is 2016 TV show The Kettering Incident starring <laughs> Elizabeth Debicki was filmed in which Australian state uh, well I mean see I thought you Victoria? might Victoria Oh, I thought you might know this because I thought you might know where where other Ketterings are in the world. So is there actually a, a Kettering in Australia? Is this there? is a Kettering in so Australia. So I didn't know that. Ah. No, so I, I know the Kettering, there's Kettering in Ohio. Um, I, I only know that because Kettering, where I'm from, is twinned with it. Um, uh, yes, that's imagination, yes, and, and, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, twi- we're twinned with Kettering in Ohio and uh, Lahnstein in Germany. And I've been to Lahnstein in Germany, and uh, it is very similar to Ketman in England. <laughs> There's not much going on there. <laughs> um, Victoria's the only state I know of. Weirdly, Bolton is uh, is my hometown, and that's twinned with mm. Le Mans. Oh. We, we don't get a lot of motor racing around here, it's except not. for boy racers. <laughs> yeah. No, no, unofficial. <laughs> See, the boy racers are the only ones really keeping the spirit of the twin towns alive in yeah. their hearts. Then they're getting grief from everybody. And they're like, we're just trying to connect with our twins, people. You don't even care. See, defence defense right there for them. Well, the, place, the place you should be twinning with is uh, Kettering, Tasmania. Wow. Oh, it's in Tassie. That's cool as well. Tasmania. That is instantly us think of the theme tune to uh, the... the Tasmania cartoon I watched as a kid. Not going to sing the theme tune, but <laughs> solid. Tasmania, look, Tasmanian Devil. God, no, different. Tasmanian Devil. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Uh, well, that was uh, not about Kettering. This one is also not oh. about Kettering, and it's not even nearly about Kettering because it's about oh. Jim Dale, who was born yes. in. Well, now. <sighs> See, I know there's stuff about Jim Dale because I saw Jim Dale in Oliver when I was a kid mm-hmm. and was told by my mum that someone in her family knew him. And so he maybe he was born in Kettering, but like... but like He's from the Kettering area, so he was yeah. actually born in Rothwell. Right, yeah. Would Big you fan count of that as... Are we calling it Roll? Roll, I'll call it R-O-W-E-L-L. Um, yeah, Roll. Well, well, well I mean, this is its own place. It wouldn't want to be called Kettering. But uh, if you ever are in the Kettering area and you want to get good food, then you should go to Rothwell. They've got the most amount of like good places to eat in in the local area. I'd say so. Very I mean, good. It's, it's mad. It's mad how nowhere else has anywhere good to eat, and Rothwell has like <laughs> a whole bunch of places, and it's quite small. Well, Jim Dale, uh, son of. Rothwell uh, wrote the lyrics to which 1966 film theme tune that proved a chart hit for the Seekers. Oh, now Jenny knows. I haven't shown Jenny these questions, so she is entitled to uh, buzz in if she wishes. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I don't know, but it's annoying because I'm pretty sure I've been told at some point about it because I think I've got told everything about Jim Dale really quickly on that one trip. Shall we help you out a with a... Uh, do you want to help him out, Jenny, with a little sample of the... Oh, wow! Good. I've, I've never heard it, so I don't feel bad now. <laughs> it was very badly rendered. It was Georgie Girl. He won oh, an he won an Oscar for that. Mm-hmm. Did he? Yeah. He won the Go Oscar. Unbe- unbelievable! Anyone, if you thought anyone in the Carry On team was going to win an Oscar, yeah, yeah. you'd you'd think Williams all the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe sure. Jake's. 
Maybe James. But yeah. So that, again, not really about Kettering. This one is in no way about Kettering, but it mentions Kettering. Uh, In John Lloyd and Douglas Adams' book, The Meaning of Liff, which ascribes definitions to UK place names, which of the following is the definition of Kettering? Is it A, a verb meaning continually making small talk to someone who is trying to read a book? No. (laughs) Is Kettering a noun, meaning the marks left on your bottom or thighs after sunbathing on a wickerwork chair? Or is Kettering C a verb meaning wondering what to do next when you've just stormed out of something? Ooh, see, I, I'm aware that Kettering's in that book. And I know I've been told it, but none of those are really ringing a bell. But I'm going to go for the third C, the third one. A verb meaning wondering what to do next when you've just stormed out of something. No, that oh. was the definition for eekering which is in knots. Uh, Kettering is actually the marks left on your bottom or thighs after sunbathing on a wickerwork chair. Wow. I mean, that's perfect. The other one was dowel milling in air. But uh, so, well, you, I I mean, I feel like I I sort of, I gave you a very difficult Kettering quiz on purpose (laughs) because I felt you would be undefeatable otherwise. I've learned stuff now. (laughs) But you see, you do, you love to learn and you love to quiz. And we have been watching your quizzing uh, exploits on both Pointless and Blockbusters. And it's been an Uh absolute joy. And what we like to do on the show is do a kind of, you know, find out your feelings about those and then do a little sort of play-by-play of the action. So do you want to talk us through Pointless first, which you did with Joel Domit? Yeah. Couldn't wait to do it. Obviously, Pointless is like, uh, you know, if you're a comic, you really hope that you one day get to go on Pointless. Um, very delighted to be on it with Joel. Me and Joel, Joel's one of my first friends in stand-up. He used to stay around his house all the time as an open spot when I still lived in Kettering and he was in London. And also Joel is like the only person worse at quizzes than Joel is me. So like I was really looking forward to going on it with him and being a duo on it. And yeah, I mean... I remember the first round thinking, we're going to win this. You did brilliantly. Because we did so well on the first one and I was so proud of us. And you, did, you didn't just do brilliantly, you got the lowest individual score. Yeah. Up against some really good people as well. Because, I mean, uh, Izzy was on it, Izzy, um, Izzy Sati and... Yeah. Uh, Notorious uh, Alex Horn. He's a, he's a <gasps> dedicated quizzer. I mean, to beat Alex Horn. Well, to be fair, the real the real dark horse on there that if you I mean and if you haven't had Ellie Taylor on this show yet, you've got to get Ellie Taylor on this show because Ellie Taylor is very good at quizzes mm-hmm. and plays it like she's not. She's very clever, <laughs> and, and and so you don't think our oh, Taylor's the one to beat, but so many of me and me and my pals have been beaten by Taylor on so many of these shows, and she wins. Good to uh, know. She's very good. Very good so, to like, know. I think she won that one as well. I think she won that episode, her and Tom Allen. Because you did the first one, was brilliant. So it was the, the kind of subject matter was, uh, it was ways of describing TV shows. So they'd give you mm-hmm. a description of a TV show title, but a kind of, I can't even a cryptic think. Cryptic clue, really, a cryptic wasn't it? Clue, yeah. thank you, James. I can't remember if it's synonyms, homonyms, or whatever the, the word it's is. Synonym, they use the word synonym, which I always think is quite brave for a, a sort uh-huh. of pre-Watershed TV programme. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, there were ones like Whipped Potato, starring Alan Alder. Mash. Yeah, thank you. Uh, 72 Inches Submerged, which featured Francis Conroy. Six Feet Under. Very nice. And the one that you got was uh, Jackson 5, starring, I can't remember, Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis. The, the one that they picked out, which was? 
Standard for others. Five points. Excellent work. So, very so only five people who guessed that. So I was watching it and I was thinking, because I hadn't seen it go out at the time, and no. I was thinking, well, this is it. Acaster and Domit are going to coast to victory. <laughs> yeah. And then tell us about uh, round two. Round two, I, f- I think about it all the time. It was um, it was recipes. So it's like there was like five recipes by five famous chefs. So you had, for example, Gino De Campo's spaghetti alla rubiata. You had Nigella Lawson's spaghetti vongole, and you had Tom Carriage's spaghetti bolognese. Yes, all pasta recipes. And all you had to do was name any ingredient that would be in any of those recipes. You didn't even have to say which recipe you thought it was. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And Joel said capers, which is a very good shout, yeah. I think. Um, and very unlucky for him. It was it, we, got, we scored 200. It wasn't a correct answer, which meant that the heat was on me when it came round to me because like other people were doing well and I think Izzy Sooty had also got a wrong answer mm-hmm. so it was me versus Alex Horn essentially to see who would stay in and I thought well, what's an unusual ingredient that they'd put in stuff and I thought and basically I was getting confused I've gone over it many times and off menu I was getting confused with between spaghetti bolognese and chilli and yes. I thought, well, I've heard that people put dark chocolate in chilli to plump up the beef. Yep. Maybe they also do it in spaghetti bolognese. Mm-hmm. It's Tom Kerridge. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would do that. And I then had an absolute meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it had already been a fun show. We'd had the first round. At some point, I think during this round... Uh, I'd initiated a sit-down and we'd mm. all sat down on the steps together. Yep. And Alexander Armstrong joined us sitting down on the steps. I believe that's the first time that's ever happened. It was in the history is what of the it show. was. Yeah. That's, that's all I want from going on any show <laughs> like that. I want a moment where this hasn't been done before and here we are. And it's, it says a lot about how polite a show is when by sitting down, you're called an anarchist. And it's like, <laughs> what the... It's bedlam. <laughs> Everyone's sitting down. We don't know what to do. Well, we in the world the of camera angles. I mean, the world of quiz is fairly tame yeah. generally, you know. It so. is. You don't have to do much. But when I said chocolate, I was trying to think to myself, and I basically also, I forgot it was for charity. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you should be a bit safer than this afterwards. I mean, you should have been a bit safer than that, James. You're playing for a charity. But in the moment, I thought, when you watch this show at home, James, and it gets to these moments, you want them to roll the dice that's what you want at home and you get annoyed with them when they don't yep. so you've got to do yep. the thing that you want them to do at home this is, people are going to sit at home and watch this you don't just want to say a safe answer and then they go oh, okay Here we yeah. go. <laughs> whatever so but I was pacing up and down I lent on the <laughs> scoreboard at one point and I broke the uh, you know, and pointless those scoreboards look quite nice at the front of the podiums and when you lean on them and reveal it's just an iPad that is uh, blue tacked onto a stand and they've put a frame around it to make it look like a scoreboard <laughs> but it's really just an iPad uh, that really spoils the illusion for the studio audience well you did you revealed and, how flimsy the whole oh. sort of facade is I mean it is you know the glamour is entirely yeah. superficial isn't it really so <laughs> exactly you, you did a very good service pointless. and uh, you actually 
actually ended up getting uh, what Jenny has had many times, which is the Daily Express running a splash. <laughs> One of their Did brilliant... That. Oh, Alexander Armstrong furious as pointless <laughs> set. You know, comedian Acaster destroys... Point- chaos. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Storms yeah. offset. But it was, um, it was a brilliant moment. And actually, you did do the right thing. And yeah. it was so... I mean, it's not an unreasonable answer. And I think as quizzes, I mean, Jen, you would say he played he played nothing wrong there, did he? No, and you had to because of the, the, the previous wrong answer. I mean, Worcestershire sauce... Mm. Is that what he said? That's what he said. Which I oh. again, I don't think Which that's a bad answer. I put, I put, I that put in Worcester spag- sauce in my spa- spaghetti bolognese yeah. every time. Like, yeah, mm. just a, I don't think that was an unreasonable answer whatsoever. I yeah. think it was desperately unlucky, mm-hmm. which put you in the position where you knew you had to go for an ultra low answer, or mm-hmm. it was all over anyway. And yeah, you were making great TV. That's what that's what you're there for. You're there to draw a bit of attention to a good cause. The charitable organisation you were raising money for might not be so grateful. But... You've worked in Kettering. <laughs> yeah, which, again, you represented. If we're moving on, if we're talking about the drama that you bring to quiz, the Christmas special of Blockbusters, the new reboot <laughs> yeah. of Blockbusters with Dara O'Brien, I mean... Edge of the seat stuff. Because I, looking at the lineup, it was you playing as the solo player and then Jordan Banjo, who we love, who I've quizzed love with, very yeah. good quizzer, uh, yeah. and Scarlett Moffat, yeah. uh, who is not, I think it's fair to say, a great quiz. She did, she had a good, you know, she represented herself well, but it was, yes. um, I mean, extraordinary. Uh, again, any sort of highlights from that? I could talk the audience through play by play, but well, it's long, obviously. With that one, it would mainly be learning the rules as I went along would be my highlight. <laughs> thinking that... Yeah, you did that. make some odd choices in terms of positioning on the board, didn't you? Yeah, well, I just thought... I mean, this just shows the absolute, you know, unprofessional... I, the longer I've been a comedian for, the less professional I've been when it comes to being booked for stuff. <laughs> and for that, I was like, I'm pretty sure I know... I've, I've never seen it, but I'm pretty sure I know how it works. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they just ask me questions and I tell them the answers. Um, I didn't really know I was trying to get to the other side of anything. I didn't know <laughs> any of that. Because it wasn't... When you were growing up, you see, you're younger than me because Blockbusters was mm. part of my childhood, but it wasn't, you know, it finished by the time you were kind of that age weren't you it was still knocking about but I just didn't have any interest in it fair enough at all I just remember being like well I don't care or the hexagons or whatever I was like I'm not into that (laughs) but you did certainly get into it as time went on uh, you you got some good answers you got the crush and squirt in finding Nemo with the turtles very happy with that. Happy, good early answer. Um, but then there was a, such an exciting moment where it was a position where either of you could have won. So both teams were about to clinch a victory on the first board. Uh-huh. And Dara started the question, what F are false stories? And Scarlet buzzed in with fables, which was a great answer. Yeah, but absolutely. she hadn't finished, Dara hadn't finished the question. It was wrong. And the uh, the actual question was something like, "What are false stories in the newspapers?" Uh, blah 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 blah. Well, news, right. and uh, yeah. it was the answer was fake news. Yes. Which you didn't get, but I did think it wasn't a brilliantly worded question. I'm on your side <laughs> there. And then the question was, "What F uh, is a combination of bubbles and OJ?" 
And you said correctly, it was Bucks a Fizz. Bucks Fizz. So game round one to Acaster. I remember winning round one, and this is how much I don't know the rules of the game. Thinking that's the, that's done. I've won. <laughs> well, well a, that's it. A lot of quizzing is about stamina. So did your <laughs> did your head go down at that point? <laughs> I thought oh, I got to carry on, <laughs> and like. You know, I'd already made a load of mistakes. At one point, I buzzed in when he said, I think he said, what L? And then I buzzed in before anything had even happened. <laughs> I'd had to guess stuff, and I think I guessed leprosy, and that was wrong. You had two but, guesses. Like, I mean, he was actually very generous in that he gave yeah. you two chances to guess what L. <laughs> it would have been a man, wonderful moment if it had been leprosy, though. <laughs> exactly, see? Same, same, same thing as with the spaghetti bolognese yeah. guess. Very telling um, that was the first thing that leapt into your head as well, wasn't it? Like, leprosy. Any L. You could have had any L, and leprosy was the slightly... Because it's a thing I learned in a quiz once I learned uh, there's a quiz question which is what is the only other animal that can catch leprosy besides humans and it was armadillos and uh, and it always stuck in my head well, and it- so now it's the Ever, ever, ever anyone wants a fact or anything that's that's my go-to <laughs> well that's brilliant I didn't know that did you know that Jen? Um, it, I would have probably struggled to remember which animal I knew that there was a a leprosy link with some other animal but that confuses <laughs> me with koalas and chlamydia yeah yeah disgusting <laughs> Yeah. My girlfriend's told me loads of horror. I went to last time I went to Australia. My girlfriend told me so many horrible, horrible details about koalas. <laughs> I don't even want to repeat them. Again, give her the satisfaction because she repeated them a lot. To me. Traumatized by koalas. Yeah. Um, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And then what happened in the end in uh, the Blockbusters? Do you want to talk us through? I know that they won. I don't remember... uh what it came down to or what happened in it I oh mean, I was you don't so... remember the sudden death moment no <gasps> the sudden death moment where you lost it on a question about puddings oh no yeah that stings it was so off brand and i, I was yeah. absolutely horrified so yeah the question was uh which jay was introduced as a dessert first in a 19th century book, The Art of Cookery, and can be one of the layers in a... And Scarlett Moffat... I mean, I said she wasn't a brilliant quizzer. Of course, I'm absolutely yeah. proving myself wrong here because she got she clinched the whole thing by um, by correctly, correctly answering jelly. Says jelly. I mean, I, I should have... I mean, basically, I guess because I've... The same with the fake news one. As you started saying it, I was like, I know the answer to this, and I did know both times. <laughs> but I think it's because I was already asked them on Blockbuster and maybe... You're just better host than Dara. <laughs> Let's say that that's what it is. I'd be very happy yeah. to yeah, accept that. Um, now, Jen, you have also, now that we've sort of made you relive some of your quizzing highlights <laughs> and <laughs> harrowing moments, quite frankly, um, Jen, you have a quiz, I believe, related to... Well, related to your famous podcast, Off Menu. Oh, wow. So we have a... A dining-themed quiz for you. 
Okay. Now, you and Lucy can work on this together or separately. She hasn't seen these questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, exciting. So, question one. What is zigzag in America, but double-fisted on this side of the Atlantic? Zigzag in America and double-fisted over here. Oh, is it something related to icing or baking? No, no. I was just thinking of a double-fisted kind of something. Thinking when you're you're holding two drinks at the same time. (gasps) If only, if only. But it it is to do with consumption. This is a a dining etiquette quiz. Okay, double fisted or zigzag. Oh, is it like holding your cutlery wrong? Like not not in the correct way. Oh, quite the opposite. It's it's oh, the correct right. way of of oh. dining in each country. So, in the US, they will use the knife in the traditional format only to cut up a few bites and then they will put the knife down and switch the fork to their dominant hand and eat with the fork whereas we do it's all it's also called the hidden handle the uh the the double fist basically <laughs> i'm double fisting as we speak but the yeah viewers can't she's trying to demonstrate the knife the and fork can't. there i'm just double fisting as i often do <laughs> so apparently um when forks made it onto the dining table in the 11th century they were considered a bit frippery a little bit vulgar really and mm. even louis the 14th forbade his children to eat with forks mm. That's a little bit of extra trivia for you. Um, Name two items of silverware it's incredibly rude to ask for if they're not already on the table. We're talking top-level debrets here now. Good Lord. I mean, I have no etiquette. Oh, man, I saw something the other day. (laughs) I, I swear it was in, like, a TV show I was watching. Was it Downton Abbey? No, it wasn't, but... Something sort of posh. It was something when there was... And the person said... Can I, I said, if it's not on the table, you can't ask for it. One of oh, these no, is that, a, was, it's that a very... was salt. That was salt. It wasn't... It wasn't um, well, that's quite rude to ask for salt anyway. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's more acceptable now. Um, so one is quite a specific item of, I mean, of silverware, which I definitely like don't own. A fish knife or a, a melon baller. No. <laughs> a lime zester. I mean, I don't know. I'm sitting at the dining table. Bring me a melon baller. <laughs> Pretty rude, especially if you're not eating melon. Um, it's to, it's something to eat a certain item of seafood. Oh, like a, like a lobster and you, and you get the thing that cracks it, the, the lobster cracker. <laughs> no, I'll put you in misery. It's an oyster fork. If there is no oyster fork on the table, don't ask for one. It means that the oyster is already loosened. Wow. And the other item is a steak knife. Because if you're at a dinner party and you can't get through the steak, it's the worst thing you can do is to ask for a steak knife. That makes sense. You're saying, oh, you're serving me tough old meat. That does make perfect sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What should you never do with your menu? (laughs) The physical menu, not when you're writing a menu. Um, I didn't know this and I've done it many 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 times so I'm an awful human being leave it open? no leave it closed? <laughs> no <laughs> I was just trying to write there's a limited glory. number of things you can actually do thinking about it you should yeah. you should Stand never it lift it off the table yeah you should never lift it up off the table no. what? yeah exactly I've never seen anybody not do it no yeah. Well, everyone lifts it up the table. I've never seen it. It If I saw somebody reading the menu and keeping it on the table, I'd be like, You're supposed to leave weakling. it slightly touching the table. If you need to sort of angle it up to read it, 
the mm. bottom of it should still be in contact with the table. I don't know who's going around checking. Yeah. It's bizarre. Who even well, where, came are, up with that where I usually dine, uh, the menu is in perspex and stands up. <laughs> and you can turn it round so that everybody... It's a brilliant system. Where you usually turn, usually where I dine, it's its on a, a lighted-up board and it's above eye level. Just <laughs> <laughs> point Genius. to the photo. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, yeah, with a picture and above the twirling kebab meat. That's, that's yeah. how I dine. Perfect. One of those. Oh, this is very good. I feel I'm yeah. learning lots of etiquette. So, uh, you are excusing yourself from the table. What do you do with your serviette? And it, would, and it would it's different if you are um in Europe or in the US. So I'll accept either answer. It's funny because like everything feels rude now. Like, <laughs> putting it on the chair must be rude. Putting it on your plate must be rude, put it on the table must be rude. <laughs> putting it on your chair is Just... what you would do in America. I mean, right. eating it is the only acceptable thing, isn't it? Just I must rid myself of this napkin shame. I shall ingest it. Yeah. You should you should take it and not fold it, but just gently leave it to the left of your plate. To the left. Right. To indicate that you're coming back, but it is not to be reused. Oh. <laughs> and finally, okay. how ca- how should you most politely eat peas? And this again is different in the UK and in America. Ooh. The best, well, the only I mean, acceptable way to consume rogue peas just on your plate. Are you supposed to actually skewer them on your fork and eat them? <laughs> Ooh, I would have not, said... Not in this country. Oh, that rude. Oh, that's exactly that's what I would have said. Spear them on the tines and... No? No. Okay. No, that's terribly, terribly But common. you shouldn't scoop them. I mean, a scooping seems very wrong. Yeah. You, ne- you never scoop, never scoop. No. Uh, mm. Just to hoover them up with your, with your long proboscis-style <laughs> tongue. <laughs> Um, that's you, all the options. Uh, you need to be able to squish them and push them onto the fork with the tines pointing downwards. So it may be necessary to use mashed potato to make the peas stick to the fork, <laughs> but it is incorrect to turn the fork, fork over and scoop. This is why I hate posh people. They are, they are, they are stupidest rules in the world, and they decide that that's what's that, that makes them better. They're the biggest animals I've ever met. <laughs> Yeah, but at least they know how to use a salad fork or something. Yeah, because they made the rule up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd all know if we were the ones who got to decide. <laughs> anyway, I hope you've learned something about eat being posh and not being sneered at when you're in a three-star Michelin. Yeah, yes. they're fine. They accept your money. They don't care how you eat it. It's great. No. And most of them, actually most... Michelin-starred chefs are people who were working class and worked the way up from the bottom, so they absolutely love it when you come in and don't give a shit about etiquette. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yes! And then they look at it, narrow their eyes at all the poshos coming in. Well, it, but it's not even real poshos either, is it? It's that sort of try-hard kind of, you know... Sure. It's like my mum who used to say broccoli. Because <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was posh, you know. That, oh, I yeah. love that. I yeah, love that yeah, so yeah. <laughs> It's been an absolute joy talking to you. The, the last thing I wanted to do before we let you go, James, is if you don't mind, very quickly, talk about your Perfect Sounds podcast, which is sure. available on the BBC, the baffling BBC Sounds app. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, which, but I did manage to locate it, and it's absolutely brilliant. And I think it will very much Thank appeal you. to our listeners because we have often on this podcast we have discussed the fact that my musical knowledge ends uh, in about the year two thousand. Jenny's got a few more years because of working mm-hmm. in the record shops of Bolton. Um, but okay. uh, so the uh, the Perfect Sounds podcast is basically as you describe it that you were having a breakdown in twenty seventeen. And yeah. your sort of therapy or a therapeutic method you had was listening to all the albums of 2016. And you are convinced that 2016 is the greatest ever year in popular music. And yeah. through the podcast, you convince your guests of same. I attempt to. Yes. <laughs> and largely, you know, often succeed and introduce it, people to yeah. amazing. And, and it, it, you know, I have not listened to popular music, have regretted that. And it is a lovely way to reconnect. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. I love, I mean, the whole process for me of discovering all those albums was really exciting and exhilarating. And I had completely fallen out of love with popular music and hadn't paid any attention to it for too long. And so it's so exciting to be like, oh, loads of, basically just loads of great and innovative stuff is being made right now. And bearing in mind it was 2017, so we'd just come out of 2016 where a lot of depressing stuff had happened that mm. made you feel like the world wasn't great. And now here we are in 2020, <laughs> and it's quite nice to kind of like go, okay, people are still doing really great stuff, and there's still things to be optimistic and um, happy about and enthusiastic about as well. So I've really enjoyed, you know, revisiting some of the bigger albums of that year, but also the obscure ones that I found and the hidden gems that I don't think got enough credit at the time um because you know I, I, i'm it's approaching 700 albums now that i've bought from 2016 and so therefore there are some that are very very obscure that it's such an honor to be able to do episodes on and um when i hear that yeah other people have got into those albums as a result it's very that's very much more rewarding than shouting problems or bread at people as much as i love that podcast <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it's because there are things like you know, Lemonade obviously was released, and you mm. chat about that with Ramesh. And then there's the one I really love was Evelyn Mock, and uh, in fact, I haven't written down the name, but it's the Luca Marley. Productions. Yes, and it's a brilliant. That's such a lovely, such a brilliant album. Yeah, happy Malayan hip hop album. Um, loads of auto tune, but also traditional Malayan rhythms on it. And yeah, that was one that. I was really because it's that's so obscure that album. Yeah, and the it's about how great Marley sent me an is. Email. And, oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, Aww. yeah. They said thanks for that. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. And wasn't and there's a guy who you bought his album on Bandcamp, and you were like one of only eight people. Oh yeah, <laughs> I haven't done an episode on his album, but yeah, Jay Thubes, his name is. Um, J is in the letter J, then T H O U double B S. He did an album called Unreleasable Material where he was trying to move away from doing um, so much classic rock stuff and do a bit more of his version of a pop album. And I think it's brilliant. But yeah, I contacted him for the book. Uh, I wrote a book called Perfect Sound Whatever about the, these albums. Contacted him to interview him. And he was he lives with his parents in America and was had just finished watching my specials on Netflix and was like, and got an email from me going, hello, I'd like to interview you for a book. And it was very surreal for both of us. How <laughs> so, extraordinary. It's, yeah. I know, and I did want to do you a quick quiz just to finish. Um, but again, like with Kettering, I thought you are too much of an expert on the music of 2016 to <laughs> really entertain that. So what I've done is I've looked up Radio 2's poll of the greatest ever years in music, which they did a couple oh. of years back. 
and I've picked some other years that, that have been nominated that were in their top 10 greatest ever years and I want mm-hmm. you to tell me the albums that were released in those years that made them so great so the first what one is... is 1967 there was a very significant album that was released in 1967 and Jen hasn't seen these so Jen can play along too um, Jen will probably get them I, I, I don't think I'm going to get any of these um, I would guess 67 I would guess it was either a Beatles or a Beach Boys album mm-hmm. um, if it's that significant and I would probably go for this is every Beatles fan is to be furious with me now <laughs> because like I'm so like bad at knowing what year the Beatles albums came out I want to say Sgt Pepper I would if I were you I'm going to say that yeah, yeah okay, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> Sergeant Pepper. In fact, was that the year that Pet Sounds came out as well? I haven't written that down, but I should go and have a look. Pet Sounds was a response to Sergeant Pepper, so okay, um, maybe. Maybe. Um, Seventy-three, the year of my birth. There were okay three albums. One of them was Pink Floyd, which Pink Floyd album? Was it Dark Side of the Moon? It was. Uh, one of them was the album that launched Virgin. Tubular Bells. Very oh, good. Well done, oh, Jen. No, no, I, I wouldn't have got that. <laughs> no. And then the third one was on the Island Records label, and it was a uh, an album that launched the career of a very significant artist in this country. Was in fact, well, it was Bob Marley. I was going to say Bob Marley, and then I was like, no, you just. <laughs> but what yeah, was okay. the title of the album? Because that is, I did not know his 1973 album. Catch a fire? Yes. Boom. Well done. And I'll just give you one final one. 2005, somebody released their first album in 12 years. 2005? Yeah. What's it? Oh, see, now. It's 93. Ooh. See, I want to say someone like Madonna who does stuff like, you know every now and again but by the look on your face it's not Madonna. no Madonna's done more she didn't have a 12 year gap between her 12 albums years. 12 year gap 12. also Leonard Cohen no no it was accompanied oh. by some live performances which Kate Bush yes well, oh, well. There you go. that was 2005 and that, that feels like approximately last year I know doesn't it <laughs> oh I'm so old <laughs> everything in the old life does <laughs> yeah the- <laughs> The pre-times. Um, well, it, you uh, have been an absolute joy and a delight, James. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, and ho- we hope to see you again on Pointless, destroying the set. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, I'd love to go back and bring my dad. My dad's, his ambition is to go on Pointless one day. So I'm going to try and pass him off as a celeb. Well, they're probably <laughs> listening and I'm sure they'd be delighted to have him. Are there any other quiz shows that you want to go on? Because if you do want to uh, put in a bid now. I'd love to do Who Wants to Be a Millionaire so much. I would go out so quickly. My general knowledge is like awful. Like I, you know, that first round of Pointless was a dream. It's a puzzle. It's a comedian's mind quiz question. <laughs> House of Games also is the same. It's just engineered for comedians. Lovely. I would be very humiliated on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, <laughs> but I, lo- I love the drama of it so much. As long as Clarkson's not still hosting it I'd love to go on it <laughs> well maybe you should host it maybe that's the uh... imagine that imagine me having to say to people is that your final answer with any authority whatsoever I would I would utterly tune into that I'm going to start a letter writing campaign <laughs> there we go that can be our new campaign after bringing back uh, Mike Reed's pop quiz we failed at that one yeah. but we'll we'll, we'll succeed yeah. I'm still trying it's not a failure we just haven't succeeded yeah. yet <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, James Acaster. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. 
And now we welcome back Nikki Brown, who has Woo. a quiz for us. Woo-hoo. And I believe, Nikki, this is uh, it's something of a family heirloom. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a family heirloom. Everyone, everyone like, treasured this quiz. Yeah, so it you didn't. did this quiz on your family, so it's had guinea pigs, so that's good. So, yes. Uh, how many questions have you got for us? Five. Five questions, okay, let's roll on. Question number We're one. Ready. Good luck, okay, Jen. Okay, so what type of animal is a fertilance? Oh, Ferdelance. Oh, uh, I think I think I know this. Is it fur as an F E U, like a fire? No, um, F E R. Ferdelance. Yeah. Is it something with a furry lance? It's a. Um... <laughs> it's it's lance shaped. Oh, if it's what I'm thinking of. Is it a? It's, it's ferret, one of my nemesis. Is nemesis. It... Oh, is it a sloth? No, no, it's not a sloth. <laughs> Oh god! Don't get a us started. Sloth. Don't get us started on the sloths. Um, no, I don't know, Jenny. What is it? I think it's a snake. Yeah, it's it's ah. um it's uh, it's quite a poisonous one from what I've heard. It's one of the most deadly in, I believe, South America. I think. Okay, very good. Okay. <laughs> I think it Jen doesn't like snakes. No, I mean it's one nil to Jen, but I think she'd rather not have. Uh, <laughs> you've got to, you've got question. to know your enemy, though. You do. Very true. So, you do. So, question number two. Question number two is: Which author has used the pseudonym Richard Bachman? Richard Barkman. Oh, look at you nodding away, Jenny. Look at yeah, that. Yeah, I'm giving you a chance, Luce. Well, chance. You, you might well do that, but I've got literally no idea whatsoever. You, you so. know, you know, this is someone who's very prolific. Who is one of my favourite ever authors of all time. Like, I literally Good. adore him. He's, oh. Oh, he's gosh. So these are more for, like, your fantasy kind of books, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, he, and he tends to write in more of a slightly different genre. Oh. He's a genre writer. Is he so much? He's hopped over into science fiction from crime. No. (laughs) Crimes crimes definitely occur in his books. (laughs) Stephen King. Yeah. Core City. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I should have known by just by looking at your face, Jen. I should have known that it was. (laughs) Yeah, because I immediately just I went into (laughs) clown face. Just to scare you. I got my teeth out. <laughs> oh, very good. Peered at you from down a storm drain. A very good question. I love that one. What's the uh, going question number three? Right. I'm doing terribly badly. Uh, um, in um, in the ET film, which Hollywood star played Elliot's sister? Now that I know, her name was it Gertie? Her name, and yeah. it was Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Was indeed Drew Gertie. That's a lovely, lovely role, isn't it? Oh my goodness! Imagine watching ET and not having, not crying at ET. I I think that's a sign. That's a sign of someone who's had their emotions torn from their body in a medical procedure gone wrong. (laughs) Absolutely. How can you not? How can you not when he's gone all grey? It's very it's in sad. that little coffin. <laughs> it is very sad. I it's don't think very... my children did. I think my children are both psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> they just went, oh, it's a bit slow, isn't it? Like young people do with... It's slow. Oh, OK. Yeah, it is, it's, a, to be fair, it's a long film and it, it, it does film. take a bit to ramp to the emotional. <laughs> um, <laughs> OK, so question number four. 
Um, in the Harry Potter films, who replaced Richard Harris um, in playing the character of Dumbledore? Oh, do you know, I know this and now I can't bloom and think of his you can, name. You can picture him, Yes, can you? yes, yes. You can so see him it right is, away. it's... Um, Oh it's, God, he was a lovely in, voice, and he was in like the singing detective, and he oh, was, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> oh, his lovely voice and his lovely, not Richard Harris, but it, it could easily. It's oh God, this is going to absolutely drive me mad. Oh, did you know he was born in France? Oh, obviously oh. you can't remember his name, so but you could say his name as if he was he was French. Uh, it is uh, how you say uh, I'm trying to build up to it so that I will be able to do it well his surname sounds a little bit like the French for ham oh yes it is uh, Monsieur Jambon. Uh, it's Michael Gambon. Michael Gambon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and now forever I'm going to call him Michael Jambon. <laughs> Michel uh, Jambon. When you when you see him in the street one day. Ah, Monsieur right. Jambon. Ah, Michel. Très bien. Ah. <laughs> Monsieur Dumbledore, I believe. Anyway, lovely. Oh, thanks for that. Phew. God, that was driving me mad. <laughs> Very good question. Uh, and number five, the final question. Uh, Nirvana's album Nevermind turns 30 next year, as in 2021. What year was it released? It turns 30 next year? Yeah. Is this a trick question? No. No. <laughs> when was the quiz? But when did you do the quiz? So was it 1992? No. I've got 1991. Yes, 1991. Yeah. Oh, God, I've totally skipped a year. Yeah, I had to include it because I turned 30 next year as well. So, um, and I was, I've always thought it was really cool that I had Nirvana album, who I I love Nirvana. Yeah. Their album, one of their albums turned uh, 30 in the same year that I turned 30, so I I thought I had to include that. You're not the baby off the cover, are you? (laughs) No. That would be an amazing claim to fame. I wish I was the baby on the cover. It's such a good album. It's such a good album. It's amazing. And I can't believe I just skipped a whole year then. I've wished away 2020. I have to say, same. I don't think it counts. I think we should just strike it from the record. Nirvana's Nevermind was actually released 30 years ago in 1991. (laughs) (laughs) Just to clarify. Hang on a minute. Yeah, no, I've lost. But, I've got myself very yeah. confused. Nineteen ninety-two. Because yeah, well, if we skip the year. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Fine. Lovely. Right now that I'm very confused, I'm going to go and have a cup of cocoa and go to bed. Have a lie down, darling. <laughs> I will. That was so brilliant, Nikki. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Nikki. No worries. No a worries. wonderful quiz. Thank you for chatting to us. No worries. And, uh, no happy thirtieth birthday next year. Woo! Thank you very much. <laughs> So that was this week's Fingers on Buzzers. Uh, What an absolute delight it was to talk to James Acaster about everything under the sun, really. And I feel that I've educated him on his table manners. (laughs) Which he cares not a whit about, obviously. And Nicky Brown's brilliant quiz. That was great, wasn't it? As road tested on the family. Lovely. So it's been a delight. Now, listen, you started in WrestleMania style, Jen. Do you want (gasps) to... Thank you to James Acaster, to Nikki Brown, and most of all to you, our listeners. Oh, my back. No, and I was going to do Amanda Redman, our producer as well, but I'll do her. (laughs) I don't know if we're trying to intimidate those people or big them up. I think a bit of both. (laughs) 
Anyway, if we haven't lost you all, listeners, from <laughs> our terrible sounds, we will uh, talk to you again next week. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. Fingers on Buzzers starred Lucy Porter and Jenny Ryan and was produced by Amanda Redman with music by Kevin McLeod and Justin Edwards. Email quiz at fingersonbuzzers.com and tweet at fingersbuzzers. Thanks for listening and don't forget to join us next time for more Fingers on Buzzers. Fingers on Buzzers. 